PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. We are live here from SAEM, myself and Dr. Blake Briggs. Pleasure to be here. It's fun. It's fun, right? Hey, we're in person again. We're in person. You know, it's been two years. I guess last time we were at SAEM mm-hmm. was two years ago. Mm-hmm. At, at that time, for some reason, I thought I was really tired. Oh, it was because it was Ramadan then. Remember? It was also in Vegas. And it was also in Vegas. Your favorite city. Oh, no, let's not get me started on <laughs> Vegas. But we're in New Orleans, a cultural right. capital, is mm-hmm. what I would say. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed my time here so far. Same here. Also not Ramadan, so I can actually eat whatever I want. We had an amazing lunch. It was fantastic. Where did we go to? It was a EM Bombs International Summit. We went with our, you know, co-colleague who does this podcast with us. Marlena. Marlena. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, she's always managing the social, keeping us on track, you know, with topics and things like that. Just a huge burst in followers recently, so thank you for subscribing and checking us out. As you know, for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. Hashtag EM life. There you go. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and at EM Board Bombs. Uh, you can also find Blake at the conference. He <laughs> is a big, there's a big cutout poster of him. It's not and, that big. I'm not that tall. We're going to link to it. I'm going to ask Marlena to link to it in, in the show notes. I'm sure we have a Twitter post. Yeah, they, they have a four-foot tall, which is relatively accurate. Yeah, it's you know, close height size. For you, yeah, yeah. Uh, of Blake cut out with the uh, hashtag EM board bombs uh, as a Twitter person to follow. That's great, Blake. I didn't realize that EM board bombs was just your type of venture. I didn't realize that. Only on the weekdays. Only on the weekdays, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of solo podcasts, we can talk about how the first few years of this whole thing went. Oh, okay. And uh, the, right. the, the weight of the team on my back. Oh, my back please. is, I still have lumbar sacral strain. You do. From you the know, amount of team I carried that's in the initial podcast years. Because I try to think who created the team and the topic. In it was, the first it was place. a joint venture. Uh, I believe yeah. initially it was myself. Yeah. I believe you team. have 50% share of this company and I have 50% <laughs> share. Hey, let's talk about EM Rapid Bombs. Speaking of shares of the company. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of EM Rapid Bombs, if you enjoy EM Board Bombs and you want the TikTok version of our podcast, that's what our Rapid Bombs podcast is. We also drop emails every newsletters uh, about three or four times a week uh, with EM Rapid Bombs. It's really nice. Uh, you might hear some sirens going off in the background, <laughs> folks. Uh, we are in New Orleans downtown, by the way, so can't really do much about that. Yeah, we are live. We uh, are live. We are live. Uh, just do it live. Just do it live, <laughs> right, is what uh, some famous people have said in the past. So, um, you know, the one nice thing about EM Rapid Bombs is unlike some of the other premium podcasts that are out there, uh, you can use Apple, Spotify to access it. You don't need a special podcast player to use it. Also, unlike uh, other podcasts out there who claim to be short and sweet and to the point. Um, ours actually is. Ours actually is. <laughs> Every episode is literally three to five minutes long. So uh, we've got over 225 podcast episodes now. That question bank keeps growing, and uh, we have a flat rate right now annually that uh, it's about $150 a year. That price is going to be increasing in the coming uh, weeks, so if you want to lock that in, uh, lock it in. And we also have the ability to do a trial version, too, so if you want to try it out for a day. The tie trade-up plan. The tie trade-up plan, you got it. So anyways, don't waste your time studying with traditional board question banks. Optimize your time by listening to board pearls with EM Rapid Bombs. Hey, Dr. Briggs, can we get into this topic so we can attend some of our colleagues' uh, presentations at SAM. Let's do this. You want to read the stem? I do. This I is do. this is a true story. 
Uh, true story, not actually making this up. So, um, and I'm going to be referring to us in third person. Uh, Blake and Iltafat are at SAM in New Orleans. They walk outside their hotel and they see an inebriated gentleman who is stumbling around with a large 7-Eleven big gulp type shaped, I guess, device is how I would call it. I, I, I'm pretty sure it did not have high C in it. Um, and he keeps yelling at Blake and Iltafat, I'm intoxicated. And for some reason, he's not saying I'm drunk. He keeps saying, I'm intoxicated. Uh, and he asks Blake and Iltafat if they are interested in coming with him to Bourbon Street to have fun and drink alongside him. He actually questions as to why we're not going towards Bourbon Street. Not making this up. He was disappointed. He was very disappointed when we said, uh, thank you, uh, but we will uh, decline. So after um, we declined, the gentleman proceeds to start walking across the street into oncoming traffic. Uh, Blake and Iltafat yell at him to be careful and wonder if they should run into the street with him and assess capacity. However, the gentleman looks at them and states, quote, I know what I'm doing and uh, that we should leave him alone. So uh, we do. Uh, eventually, traffic um, moves around him. I feel like in New Orleans, people know how to avoid intoxicated people much better than in other uh, cities. Um, so the next thing Blake and I did is decide, you know what, we should come up and uh, record a podcast on alcohol abuse. Bingo. We're Done. doing the community a service. We are. Hey, a 61-year-old male presents to the ED with weakness. He has a history of alcohol use disorder. On arrival, he has dry mucous membranes. He had a seizure in route with EMS that required IV Ativan. He's also had an elevated anion gap acidosis with ketones in the urine. Which of the following is true regarding this patient's presenting pathology? A. The highest risk of delirium tremens is within 24 hours. B. Diamine replacement should always be given IV. C. Haldol has been shown to improve patient outcomes. Or D. Different benzodiazepines have similar efficacy. What's the correct answer, Dr. Briggs? Correct answer here is choice D as in Delta. Choice D. Different benzodiazepines have similar efficacy. So we may have tricked a few people here in this STEM. I think so. And uh, let's talk about alcohol withdrawal. So alcohol has been around for a long time, like a long, long time. So in America, 15% of Americans will have alcohol abuse disorder in their lifetime. And nearly half of these patients will experience some withdrawal symptoms upon drinking cessation. Nearly 20% have severe symptoms like hallucinations, seizures, and the infamously talked about delirium tremens. There you go. And you we need a Chris Nolan here. I know. I know. Let's let's drop some of that crystal yeah. and like the we will. Well, the I horns think. here. You know, <laughs> um, you know. It's interesting when it comes to alcohol abuse. It's what's fascinating to me, at least in EM, is when I ask folks, "Oh, do you drink alcohol?" And they're like, "Nah, not really." And I'll be like, "Oh, like I just ask them no, how much do you mm-hmm. drink a day." Same. I don't even say do how much thing. do you drink a week. It's like how much do you drink a day? And I'm always shocked when the answer is like, "Oh, only like four or five beers mm-hmm. a day." And uh, like that's that's not normal uh, yeah. to be you know crushing that at night. Yes. I think it's good that you had that extra question to do the same thing. And it's also interesting because I feel like a lot of our culture has shifted from addressing, rightly so, addressing illicit drug abuse, such as like opioid epidemic and other illicit substances. But we seem to forget that alcohol is still a huge problem and always will be a problem in society. Correct. Uh, and it's often underdiagnosed. So why does withdrawal happen? Well, you know, we're not getting into the details here, pathophys. We have a great handout on our website yep. of this. But in general, if a patient suffering from alcoholism suddenly stops or reduces the amount of alcohol they intake, 
there's going to be a huge increase in CNS stimulation as NMDA receptors suddenly lose their inhibition and GABA receptors lose their potentiation. That leads to, of course, symptoms of alcohol withdrawal. And the symptom timeline is really interesting. And the only reason we're going to cover this is because people get this wrong all the time. Yep. And here's what they get wrong. One of the answer choices where mm. it said that delirium tremens was highest risk in less than 12 hours or so. Yeah. That's completely wrong. Right. So mild symptoms are the initial like day or so. And that's going to be just anxiety, tremors, headache, nausea, and sleep disturbances. And the tremors are usually classically hand or body. You can also pro tip, see if there's any tongue fasciculations or a tongue tremor, which is hard to fake if you're in doubt for that. What about seizures? We're always worried about this, right? Right, exactly. And there's a lot of variability when it comes to seizures. Mm -hmm. So six to 48 hours after the last drink, let me repeat that six to 48 hours after the last drink. Rarely do seizures occur after the 48 hours. Um, but again, you know, typically this is going to be that generalized tonic, clonic in nature. But there's a lot of variability when it comes Absolutely. to seizures. What right? about moderate symptoms? So moderate symptoms, uh, really 12 to 48 hours from the last drink. So alcoholic hallucinations, they, you know, these are including like visual, auditory, tactile hallucinations. Uh, they can be a bit, you know, frightening because remember, you know, folks will be describing. Uh, the sensation of spiders crawling mm-hmm. all over uh, their arms and whatnot. And these hallucinations can persist for days. How many days, Dr. Briggs? Like six days or crazy, so. Crazy, crazy. What about those severe symptoms? So this is where we're getting into delirium tremens. So severe symptoms are going to be 48 to 96 hours. Notice how I said that was not less than 12 hours. Mm. This is almost two days or more after your last drink. Delirium tremens, or DTs, include extreme agitation and altered sensorium. And the hallmark of this, and the way I describe this when I teach residents or students, is that this is not just your average alcohol withdrawal Correct. with seizures. This is an extremely dangerous sympathomimetic surge. It's similar to excited delirium in a way. You're going to have extreme sympathomimetic symptoms like hypertension, diaphoresis, tachycardia, and hyperthermia. Historically, this is crazy stat, like up to 30% patients die from this thing. Wow. But now with modern medical therapy and recognizing this and the proliferation of emergency departments and emergency care, thankfully, the mortality rate is below 4%, thankfully. And the mortality, of course, if you guessed it, is related to sympathomimetic complications, respiratory failure, secondary aspiration, electrolyte abnormalities, polysecondary like alcoholic ketoacidosis, et cetera. So let's get into uh, diving into assessing the level of withdrawal. You know, obviously, that's going to determine a lot of things, right? Oh. Your treatment response, what you're going to do. And this is intense, but we're going to really narrow it down to what you need to know. Let's get serious. Let's get serious. So so this is always really difficult. You know, the best predictor of a significant withdrawal is the pause. So that's the prediction of alcohol withdrawal and severity score. Uh, greater than four um, is, you know, yeah, not good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are many severity scoring systems uh, for severity of withdrawal. You know, the most studied and most used is CWA. Don't get me started on Siwa. One of the most frustrating things to use. Don't get me started on use, Siwa. Right. So Siwa let's does, not get each other started on let's Siwa. Let's just I'll not do it. Let's not do it. Siwa does not predict withdrawal. Again, that's going to be pause. Uh, but it determines withdrawal severity and, uh, quote, can be used to guide therapy. The issue with Siwa is what? It is, sure, it's lengthy. There's some complex parts of it. My biggest issue mm-hmm. with Siwa that I struggle with um, or that just makes me frustrated is a subject of it. Yes, 100%. Um, right. So um, the score consists of 10 items. There are multiple things. Look, you can look it up. We're not going to get into it. The main thing is there's a lot of variability. So for example, what does a severe versus a moderate, uh, you know, hallucination mean, you know, and there are criteria that further break that down. But for the most part, these are people that are getting these CWAS scores done and they're just being clicked through. So what I mm-hmm. do is I just sit down with my nurse 
and I go through it together so that we can both figure out uh, what we agree is severe or moderate. Um, an alternative approach is what? Alternative approach is what I do, which is using the Richmond Agitation Sedation Score. Mm. And a lot of your nurses will know this, and if not, it's easy to teach, right. and it goes on just a numerical scale. Right. And it's easy to titrate, of saying how sedated do you want your patients, right? right? And the scale is commonly used to guide sedation for intubated patients, making it fairly familiar to use for nursing staff and providers. It's quicker to use, it simplifies the assessment, and it's not as subjective. You're literally asking in that score, how sedated do you want your patient? Right. Right, exactly. And that's what's so unfortunate about CWA. CWA is baked into so many EMRs and you're just kind of plugged into yes, using it. and it's taught everywhere. Yeah, and it's taught everywhere. But yeah. again, really sit down with your nurse yeah. and you know, figure out you know, what truly is a CWA scores because the next thing you know, your patient might be getting just snowed. Yes. Um, or you're discharging someone with like some massively high <laughs> CWA score when they're just completely fine, right? So you know, let's talk about managing uh, withdrawal symptoms here. So supportive care, um, you know, this is IV fluids, nutrition, which is a big part of it because a lot of these folks are malnourished, right? Uh, and avoiding stimulation, which uh, you, know, you know, the ER, right? A great mm -hmm. place so for that. Hallway chair, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so our usual go-to. Uh, nutritional supplement in alcoholic dependent patients is thiamine and folate. Those are great. Um, you know, we've got the banana bag there. It's uh, not named after Dr. Banana, but it's because the fluids, uh, they do appear yellow. Hmm. Um, it's expensive, and honestly, you don't have to use uh, mm -hmm. a banana bag. Correct. It's uh, frankly fallen out of favor at most, most institutions. Um, you know, these things are given individually. Um, alcoholic patients can also have hypoglycemia, um, and there is a theoretical, and again, this is very theoretical, but boards love to test on it, risk of worsening Wernicke's encephalopathy if glucose is given prior to thymine. Oh, my God. Oh, they love asking about that. Yes, they do. You know, give that thymine before yeah. you give that glucose um, for that hypoglycemia and that ketosis. Um, so, again, this risk is likely untrue in real life, and honestly, it's, it's being phased out. That question is on board exams, but you should know it again. This is a board review podcast. When giving glucose, intravenous is going to be expensive. So uh, really, uh, unless the patient is shown that they can't tolerate oral medications, you know, give them some complex carbs, you know, that's yes. going to help them. Um, again, complex carbs don't have to be, um, you know, sugar. It can simply be, yeah. I don't know, give them a Snickers bar. Yeah, they're, or not, give... they're not them when they're hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, right. And remember, those, those carbs are going to last longer yep. um, than some of the IV stuff. Hey, can you uh, talk about the heart of the management when yeah. it comes to alcohol withdrawal and do this? Please, please, Dr. Briggs, do this I'm, rapidly. I'm here for you. I'm here for do you. Do this we, rapidly. we got to get to some talks here. we got to right? hurry up. So the heart of management alcohol withdrawal is in activating GABA receptors and suppressing NMDA receptors. The best way to do this, well, benzodiazepines. Boom. Although there is increasing evidence for phenobarbital therapy, and we'll talk about that at the end here. Here's what the wrong answer is, and this yeah. was one of our choices that was wrong. Right. Don't use antipsychotics. Stop there doing that. There you go. It's my pet peeve. Ugh, I, I, I get so angry when I see people sedating or trying to manage alcohol withdrawal with Halidol, and it just blows my mind. I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. Right. It lowers the seizure threshold. Not only right. that, you're not going to accomplish anything. It's about GABA. Exactly. Antipsychotics should never be used. Right. They prolong the QTC as well. These people have electrolyte abnormalities. They're very sick. These are ICU-level patients, so just keep that in mind. Let's talk about benzodiazepines. The most commonly used benzodiazepines used in acute withdrawal are going to be lorazepam and diazepam. There actually haven't been any studies showing any superiority of one benzodiazepine over the other, just like in status epilepticus. Diazepam does have a faster onset. 
taking 1 to 5 minutes to take effect, while lorazepam is slightly slower at 5 to 20 minutes. However, you have to remember this, in patients with acute liver disease or liver failure, diazepam has active metabolites that are, that are handled by the liver. And so they can increase the sedation time if you give diazepam in patients with liver disease by about like five times. So just be cautious of that. Right. Otherwise, though, the effects are going to be very similar in your average alcohol withdrawal patient. So whichever choice of benzodiazepine you decide to use, the key to management is regular and frequent reevaluation of your patient. You may need to escalate the dose, titrating to a RAS score of negative one, or if you still like CWA after listening to this podcast somehow, <laughs> um, less, less than eight. And then, of course, heart rate. Symptomatically, get stalled right. looking at the patient saying, you know, your heart rate's still 120. I still need to probably give you more benzodiazepines. Why is it always 120? I don't know. That's a good number. It, you know, it's what, always yeah. 120 for my withdrawal good. patients. Yeah. Like, it's never like, oh, 90 or What's the same with AFib or RVR? Or like 140. It's, it just feels like it's always just 120. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Yeah. I feel like that's most conditions, though. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for diazepam, you're going to give this every 5 to 10 minutes, starting with 10 milligrams IV, increasing by 10 milligrams every other recheck, you know, 10 and 10 or 20 and 20 or 30 and 30. And by the way, when you're doing this and stacking these meds, you need to be doing these reassessments. Yes, so I always tell absolutely. the nurses, I want to know mm-hmm. when you're giving the patient diazepam or last yeah. time. Just let me know. Uh, I, yes, you might have to bother me uh, every, you know, mm-hmm. 10 minutes or so, but I don't want to know after the patient's gotten <laughs> yeah, you a know. ton. Exactly. Yeah, and they're snowed. Yeah, and this is another example of critical care, right? You're doing critical care billing on these patients. Yeah. And yeah. so in a way that you're doing critical care management, procedural sedation management, right? And some mm-hmm. of these people, they're critically ill. You should be seeing these people. Right. Uh, lorazepam, you're going to give every 20 to 30 minutes, starting with 2 milligrams, 2.0 to be clear, 2 milligrams IV, increasing by 2 milligrams every other recheck again, so like 2 and 2 and 4 and 4, that kind of thing. What about refractory alcohol withdrawal? Why don't you tell us a little about this? We're not going to try to get into it too much because it's kind of the new sexy foam ED palm crit stuff, but it's it's worth it to mention it because it's gaining traction. I've personally used it. I don't know if you have. Dr. Briggs, you like this, and I was trying to cut this out from a yeah. podcast. I'm handing this all over to you. I think that this is an interesting topic, okay. Dr. Hussain. All right. I beg to defer a little bit, but you know that's well, we'll why we can agree to disagree. Yeah. We'll see what the reviewers say. <laughs> okay, we'll see. You There's no clear definition of refractory alcohol withdrawal, but some suggest no response to lorazepam after more than 10 milligrams in one hour or diazepam more than 200 milligrams in Oof. three hours. That's a little aggressive. I wouldn't wait that long. Yeah, I would think they'd be nice to you by so now. So what's that? And uh, not in your ED. Yeah, I don't know what ED you work in where you have ICU <laughs> beds in less than three hours. So phenobarbital is a drug gaining notoriety and popularity. When used as a rescue agent in conjunction with benzodiazepines, patients have had lower rates of ICU admission as well as decreased ICU stays. And there's a lot of potential reasons why phenobarbital can be effective. We're not going to get into that. This is not the point of this podcast. But the evidence clearly is mounting for it. Now, there's small studies. We're not trying to say that this is standard care. You should be using this every time. But most resources, however, I will say, recommend it in refractory withdrawal. As a last ditch, throw in the kitchen sink. Your benzos aren't working. You have a very sick patient. You know it's alcohol withdrawal. And so we will say that. Again, titrate appropriate RAS scores. Again, consult your pharmacist if you have one, and also make sure you're using the appropriate resources to dose this correctly. Another alternative, wrapping this up, this topic of refractory alcohol withdrawal for sedation, is going to be ketamine, which can augment your benzodiazepines as ketamine is an NMDA antagonist. And whichever agent you reach for next, you're likely going to have to intubate them. If you're looking at propofol, just intubate them. Uh, At this point, you're giving high levels of intense sedative medications, and they're not having any response. Why don't you wrap this up with the disposition? Since I'm going to take you out to dinner. We'll see. We'll see. I believe I was the one taking you out to dinner, my friend. But, you know, maybe we'll take each other out to dinner, right? So 
Many patients in alcohol withdrawal require ICU management uh, and care. There's no set criteria on ICU admission, and really, there's no set criteria Mm-mm. for uh, even discharge using some of these scores that we talked about. I think that's really no, important to understand. There's a lot of clinician gestalt that comes you know, with these patients. There are other things and other factors and comorbidities of the patient that I think you need to take into account. Um, you know, so that's why, again, clini- you know, clinical gestalt is, is just critical here. Um, you really just need to consider the initial presentation, their medical uh, comorbidities, and, and what was their response to therapy or not? Does it appear they're refractory uh, as well? Is it look is it looking, are they trending more towards the direction of requiring airway? They're going to require a sitter 24-7. Uh, you know, you're going to prefer ICU for um, acute withdrawal patients uh, because that's where you can really get those reassessments done. Um, and the potential for a kind of a, what I call a smoldering decline on oh, the smoldering. floor. Exactly. We like that word. Is, is too great. But, um, you know, I, and I think it's very reasonable to have that discussion with your inpatient team as yes, well. Yes, for sure. Uh, to figure out. So the short of it is, is, look, you know, if you can get an ICU bed and you the patient's requiring a lot, then yes, that's great. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's more of a clinician gestalt thing. Talk to Talk with your team about it. Absolutely. Hey, let's wrap this up. We got talks to get to. And that's another board bomb delivered here from New Orleans. Live. Do people, do people say New Orleans in a different way? Isn't there another? It's just New Orleans. That's it? Is, I thought there was like another way to say New Orleans. I think you can say whatever way you want. Louisiana? Is there another way to say Louisiana? I just feel like there's another way. Is, is that the proper way to say The French colony of Louisiana. What, what do you think the French, how do you think they said Louisiana? How do you think they what? They said Louisiana. I don't know, I'm sure they say it in a French way. You think so? Was it called Louisiana uh, before the French yeah, Louisiana sold it? Purchase. Louisiana Purchase. I know it's called Louisiana Purchase, but is that what they referred to it as? Is that what they called it? Okay. Yeah. You know so, the capital of the French New World was? What was that? Mobile. Get out of here. Mobile, Alabama. There you go. It always comes back to Well, that's Florida. because they settled Mobile and they thought that the river coming out there yeah. was the Mississippi. Oh, that's right. They got confused. They made a big mistake. They made a huge mistake. And then they switched their capital over to New Orleans when they yeah. found out that and was the And then they made Mississippi another was. mistake by selling it. To- <laughs> yeah, they really sold us a bargain. Yeah, it was. It was. That yeah. was some great real estate. All yeah. right. Um, <laughs> and that's another board bomb delivered. Uh, remember, you can find us at Twitter. Um, our handle is at EM board bombs. You can find us on Instagram, too. I think we're hitting close to like more than 10,000 followers mm-hmm. on Twitter soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and does it even matter anymore? It, I don't even I mean, know. It's, it's just so crazy how many it's followers crazy. we have. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, you know, appreciate everyone's support as well. And also appreciate everyone's support and all the people that have signed up for EM Rapid Bombs. Again, remember, you can find EM Rapid Bombs podcast in the show notes. And you can also find it at emrapidbombs.supercast. That's S-U-P. P-E-R-C-A-S-T dot com. E-M That's our uh, premium podcast with, that has uh, hundreds of episodes. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.